0: Debbie and I were at the booth yesterday morning and how cool it was being there and being with some of you serving and um, people walking by, talking to them, giving them water. And just to think that we're praying for divine appointments, that God would bring people by and it would become more than just a bottle of water, but there would be an awakening to their need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that the ultimate... Deal? So it's, yeah, it's cool we're, we're handing water out, but there's a bigger picture. And that's where people would, would put their faith in Christ. And so we pray for that to happen. And we have these uh, invite cards. These are going out at the water deal as well. But do you realize that 80% of people come to church because of a personal invitation? Friend? Somebody invited you. That's why you're here. And so um, use these cards to hand out and invite a friend, um, a neighbor, a colleague, whatever, and um, have them come check out Live Church. Watching online, thanks for tuning in. Hey, we got people watching from Israel right now. And uh, how many of you know that's far, far away? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, hi, Israel. Listen to them say hi back. You ready? (laughs) <laughs> and of course, we know people are uh, from all all around um, participating in the gathering via stream. So if you have your outline, you want to get your pin warmed up, those of you watching online, pull it up on on uh, the Life, per- Life Church webpage or Facebook page and we're ready to go. A pastor once asked his church to pray that God would shut down a neighborhood bar near in their community. That bar had been causing a lot of problems. There was a lot of conflict going on. And, and so the pastor just felt like as a church, they should pray that the Lord would, would shut it down. And so that evening, uh, they came together and began praying that God would do that, rid the neighborhood of this particular bar. Well, a few weeks later, uh, lightning struck the bar and burned the place down. And so uh, having heard about the church's prayer crusade, the bar owner promptly sued the church. Yeah, man, he was ticked off. And so finally, when the court date came around, um, the bar owner passionately argued that God struck the bar with lightning on purpose because the people were praying for that to happen. Well, the pastor backtracked somewhat, brushing off those accusations. He, he admitted that the church prayed, but he also affirmed that nobody in his congregation really expected anything to happen. So the judge kind of leaned back in his chair, perplexed. You know, he, he was amused by these statements and... Finally, he says, I I can't believe what I'm hearing. Right in front of me is a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a pastor who doesn't. (laughs) Pretty sad, huh? Yeah. The truth is some Christians believe in God, but they don't believe in prayer. They don't believe prayer works. They might believe prayer works, but by their actions it speaks otherwise. Some rarely pray, and when they do, they really don't expect anything to change. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know how you look at prayer, but um, on the sign there, prayer works. Does it work for you? We know prayer works. We do know that um, God is alive. God, I was thinking about we've been we had been praying for rain, and and God, I believe God is answering that prayer, and um, and really we should be celebrating that, you know. Thank you, Lord. Not this wimpy clap like the golfers, you know. But I mean, really, when you clap for the Lord, man, it should be everything in you clapping, right? You get into it. You put some zing into that thing, man. Yeah. I like rain and better than no rain. So I don't know how you feel about it. Thank you, Lord. Let's go to the book of Daniel. We're going to pick it up. Chapter two, verses one through three. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. And. They stood before the king and he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me and I must know what it means. Verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king after uh, the conversation was going back and forth. No one on earth can tell the king his dream and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter or astrologer. And the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. I, 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 it makes me, honestly, when I, I was at the, uh, the booth yesterday, watching people go by, just praying, Lord, so many people in the valley of decision. May your spirit become alive to them where they know they need you, Lord. Nebuchadnezzar needed to know he was troubled. And we know that... um, Daniel and his friends had been under a three year program, retraining, brainwashing, etc. You know, they were committed to their core values. They didn't relent. They, convictions, it doesn't matter what people around you say or do, but when you have your own personal convictions, and I believe this, when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, if you let Him, He'll drill down into your life as you read God's word and you say yes to it, you obey it. And life change happens, and, and I know this is the way God's worked in my life. He has put convictions on me that I don't care what anybody else says or does. I am, I, am, I am convinced that this is how I'm going to live my life, right? People without convictions, man, they just get blown with the wind, whichever direction it's going. I like to set my sail with the, the rudder back there. You set the course, and I'm going to cross that finish line with, by God's grace, right? We're going to finish strong, Life Church. We're going to finish strong together. And so, number one, I can't sleep, the king says, and we just read it. And it's interesting to know that this king was the strongest, mightiest man on the planet, and yet he couldn't sleep. He had everything, all the resources at his fingertips, and yet he couldn't sleep. And we know that God was working in his life, and we know God is still working today in people's lives. Maybe people are having trouble sleeping because God is trying to get their attention, right? Number two, I need help. King recognizes that he needs help. This dream is bigger than he is. He figures the gods are trying to communicate something important to him. And he's trying to figure out what they're saying. And so he calls in his specialists, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and they come up empty. You know, we can't, we can't do it. We, We don't have, we don't have an answer. We, you need to tell us a dream. And he doesn't do that. And so number three, doom is creeping closer. Verse 12. The king was furious when he heard this, when they told him, we're signing off, king. We don't have an answer for you. And that really ticked him off, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. You can see this, and I was thinking about Stalin, and I was thinking about other world dictators. Dictators, not leaders. Dictators, where they, anyone, they feel threatened, or when they don't like somebody, they have them executed. They terminate their life. That's what bad leadership does. That's why in the Old Testament you'll see that the kings were encouraged to read God's law consistently daily because when you push God out of a culture, man, leadership becomes dictatorship. Come on. If you want a healthy culture, leadership needs to submit to the authority of Almighty God. And that's where perspective comes. I am leading under God's grace. I am not better than these people that I'm leading. I'm Leaning on the Lord for his wisdom. Right? So, doom, doom. There's a death sentence out for all the, all the wise men. And now, we see number four, death knocks on Daniel's door, verse 13. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friend's and when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them. So we see now Daniel, who had never been in the palace during that discussion and conversation with Nebuchadnezzar, he gets pulled into the death sentence because Daniel and his buddies are wise men too. But Nebuchadnezzar never thought to ask them. He got caught up in the emotion of the day. And so Ariok comes ringing a doorbell saying, dude, it's time to be killed. And Daniel and his friends respond with wisdom, number one, wisdom for a crisis. Verse 14b, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. And he asked Ariok, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? Is that a harsh decree? I think so. I think it's pretty harsh. So Ariok told him all that what had happened and Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. And we see that through this entire process, Daniel does not go into panic mode. He doesn't freak out, doesn't go into hiding, next tr- next, you know, takes the next train out of town. No, he doesn't do that. And we see in verse 16 that Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Daniel knew his God so well that he trusted God. I personally believe that Daniel knew that God is a God who knows the future. Daniel didn't know and doesn't know the future. God does. And even putting it out there, Daniel was speaking really by faith. I believe my God can tell you what your dream is and what your dream means. He had that kind of faith, and so Daniel walks in and says, "King Nebuchadnezzar, I need a little little time here. (laughs) I just heard about this death sentence coming down. Can you give me a little time?" And I believe the favor of God rested on Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar there. And he said, man, um, yeah, you get whatever you need and I'll give you to morning." <laughs> and so Daniel uh, says, okay, what does he do? Number two, praise in a crisis, verse 17, 18. And Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. You see, Daniel knew immediately what he needed to do. He needed to pray. Why? Because that's what he always did. He prayed daily when everything was rosy, when the sky was blue, and he prayed daily when the gloom, doom clouds came rolling in like this death sentence upon him. He, he wasn't a different person un, under duress or a crisis than he was when things are rolling good for him. So he knew what he needed to do. And um, looking at Daniel's life uh, in this crisis moment, Was there a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are today? Let's just roll that out. Was there a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are today? When was that? Well, we all know spiritual drift can happen, can it? And sometimes it happens when... Not, not even on purpose. We just, you know, you have a slow leak in your tire, and it, that that tire slowly loses the pressure and ultimately goes flat. I had a conversation with someone about 10 days ago, and I, I it was a confession. And I, I wasn't boasting about this, but what I was saying was... I realize how quick I can wander. We're prone to wander. Driving through Mount Horeb and how grateful we are for those roundabouts, right? Well, anyway, there's a, there's a car in front of me. And I have to tell you, I don't like these cars. Now, these cars don't talk to me. They don't yell at me. It's just the car, the model. They irritate me. And for some reason, at that particular time, going into a roundabout, it just, I felt my blood pressure spike, like, poof, like, and like anger against this car. And I don't even know who's driving the car. It's all against the car. And so we're going into the roundabout, and, you know, it's the two-lane deal. <laughs> And I, I felt like I was at the Daytona 500 right there. <laughs> and I accelerated around him, and when um, we came to the straight part of it, um, I realized I have a Life Church sticker on the back of my window. Because <laughs> the guy honked at me. I don't know if he was saying hi or what, but he, he honked at me. Um, but I thought, what, what a fool, Bob. What happened to you there? You know? How did that happen? Where did that come from? And I, I don't know where the guy lives, otherwise, I'd go and apologize to him. But I, I just felt like, Lord, prone to wonder how quick that can happen, huh? That's why I have to lean so hard and heavy on the Lord. I need him. I need him. Always, and i had a I had to confess my sin, so i was that was a crisis for me, you know not not a major one, but I had to go to the Lord and say, "Lord, forgive me for my attitude and my behavior you know i I probably gave him a wrong impression of life church, you know, are we all speed drivers annoyed by certain cars? I need the Lord. I desperately need the Lord. And is there a time in your life when you were close closer to the Lord than you are right now? Because it's so easy to, to drift. So easy to drift. Going back to prayer to the beginning where Christians pray but that they do they believe that God answers those prayers? Um, we we need to pause and think. Where do I land in that? Kenny Luck talking about you know drifting from the Lord. Uh, He's a men's speaker and author, Christian author. He says, sooner or later, if you're coasting, you're going to encounter some devilish sabotage. The only defense is to accept that difficult growth always requires ruthless pursuit of God. You have to be ruthless, right? Right? If you're passive, you know, however, you know, if I feel like reading my Bible today or I'll get to it next week or whatever, you know, I'll just get around to it. No, you have to be ruthless about the spiritual disciplines. Anything else leaves you vulnerable. Remember, you will never arrive until you arrive, as in, hello, Jesus. It's a nice place here when you arrive in heaven. The Bible is clear that down here we'll never arrive. We simply keep fighting because more like Christ with every success, remembering that only true success is the one that points to Jesus. Right? Coasting, man. We have to be careful about coasting. There were two pastors that met for lunch. It's a true story. And For simplicity, we'll call one Jim and one George. Jim and George. And George told Jim that he had lost his spiritual passion. One of his board members from the church left the church and took several key members with him. The church was also behind in their budget. And George didn't want to preach. He lost his passion for preaching. He felt flat. He, he didn't want to read God's word. He, he just kept the, the Bible on his desk and didn't open it. He didn't want to pray. He stopped praying. He was just flatlining. And George confided in Jim that he if he weren't the pastor of, of this church, he wouldn't even go there. <laughs> he wouldn't even worship there. Not good. It's not good. And Jim recognized what George was talking about and he knew that George needed prayer more than any limited advice that he could give him. And so Jim asked George if he could pray and without much enthusiasm, George said, well, okay, okay. And it was a simple prayer. And he asked God to disturb George in a big way. And said amen, and nothing really happened. They got up and they left and went their ways. A couple of months later, George called Jim, really emotional on the phone. He was very emotional on the phone. And he said, I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed. And he explained with great joy that God had disturbed him. He had suddenly become disgusted with his sin of spiritual complacency, of just coasting and cruising. He was disturbed by his lukewarmness and the lukewarmness in his church. He was disturbed by people who were living their lives without Christ. And so he said, I I opened God's word again, and I began to read it, and the hunger to read it came back. I spent time in God's presence, he said. I I prayed. I spent time in prayer. I let God just kind of rest in his presence. And with time, his compassion for people grew, and his passion to preach increased. And honestly, he fell fell in love with Jesus again. Again. All by doing the things he did at first the spiritual disciplines. God disturbed him in the best way possible. And friend, if it happened to George, it can happen to you. It can happen to you. And the question is, Are you ready to say, disturb us, Lord? Disturb me. I've been coasting. I've been drifting. Or are you going to hang to do not disturb, Sion? See, that's the choice that we're given. Two choices. Disturb me, Lord. Or do not disturb me. I like the way my life's going right now on cruise control. And in this quiet moment, friend, the Spirit of God is speaking. I want to be disturbed. I don't want to be disturbed. Which one will it be for you this morning? Father, thank you for speaking. Thank you, Lord, for your love demonstrated so well by allowing Jesus to come. As a baby, as a carpenter's son, to be the Savior of the world, to go to the cross and pay our sin debt in full, to go into that tomb and three days later come out. And even right now, we know that you live to intercede for your people, Lord. You live to pray for your people. And I believe your prayer this morning is, I pray that we'll be disturbed. And so we say, Lord, disturb us, disturb us. Awaken us, Lord, for that spiritual hunger once again, to pursue you, to be ruthless in our pursuit of you, Lord. Lord. Forgive us for hanging the sign, do not disturb, so often. When we don't feel worthy, when we go back into that addiction, when we simply take the easy way. Forgive us, Lord. And so, what is it? Disturb or do not disturb? Speak, Lord. Speak, Spirit of God. Help us to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.